here we are in Acts chapter 27, and we are getting near the end of the book of Acts, and so we want to finish well in uh, these next two, three weeks. And this morning, we're going to see Paul, after pleading his case to uh, Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, really taking the gospel to them, calling them to repentance. Festus saying, Paul, you're out of your mind. Agrippa saying, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. We see this morning the time has come for Paul to be shipped off to Rome, literally shipped off to Rome, because remember, he had pleaded to Caesar to hear his case. He knew he wasn't going to get a fair trial down in Jerusalem. And at this point, he's still even in a place where they really haven't brought formal charges against him. But as we see it in all of this, God's hand is on this. God's using this for opportunities for Paul to take the gospel, the dignitaries, to get it to Rome. And this morning, we're going to see God using it for Paul to be a great witness to these men upon this ship. As they venture out to the sea from Caesarea going towards Rome, we're going to see that this, this journey is going to be filled with storms and mishaps and eventually even a time of hopelessness. And yet we're going to see it ending in a great victory. And, you know, many exhortations and encouragements in the text today, a lot of insights even to practical living and storms of life that come our way. But really one thing we're going to see, the call to never give hope, Give up hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. All things are possible with our God. And it's just a great picture of that, of, of just God seeing them through and so forth as they cry out to the Lord. Now, you guys, guys might have noticed there in your notes on the uh, back of the last uh, sheet with the worship songs, there's a map there. And that map charts out this journey that we're looking at this morning and Lord willing next week. Because next week we'll see them go from Malta all the way up to Rome, I'm not going to refer to the map during the teaching, but I wanted to get get it to you guys. So you know, later on, as we touch on these places, if you're interested, you could go through and check that out and follow it along. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I love looking at maps and so forth. And what's really cool about this 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 uh, journey that is that he goes on, this has been uh, tested by uh, different navigators and seamen and so forth. And they've taken this route during this time of year, and they say, boy, this thing really just lines up with what's recorded here in Scripture. And it's just another one of those areas that we see the, the validity of God's Word and the anointed of God's Word, that this isn't just something that, a tale that someone came up with, but it's true to the seas there and so forth, and uh, falls in line with what we read here this morning. So we have 44 verses in this chapter, and my aim is to get through everyone, every last one of them. We're going to take this kind of a chunk at a time and so forth, and uh, I think we're really going to get blessed to minister to. So let's start here at verses uh, 1 and 2 and just start making our way down through the passage. It says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to one named Julius, a certain centurion of the Augustine rec, uh, Regiment. So entering a ship of uh, at a right, at a, my, uh, I, 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 I practiced this and I had it so good. At Ramatayim, we set, we put out to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So again, the time had come after over two years of Paul being 
jailed with really no formal charges brought against him. The time had come for Paul to literally be shipped off from Caesarea to Rome because, re remember, he again had appealed to Caesar. And yet you think about this, it, it'd be one thing, again, if, if there was even a formal charge, though Paul had not violated the law of Rome nor the law of God. Uh, it'd be one thing if there was a charge against him and he was an innocent man, you'd say that's an injustice. But how much more when he's even stood before two governors, a king, and they've even said, you know what, we really don't have anything to charge this guy with, but we're trying to do the Jews a favor, so we're going to leave him in jail, then eventually we're going to throw him on this ship with other prisoners, and, you know, we're going to ship him off to Rome. You know, you look at this, and you know what, it is a great injustice indeed. And it's a fallen world that we're in, and indeed there's going to be injustices in a fallen world, the abound. But one thing that we can rejoice in as followers of the Lord, are you a follower of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen to that? Listen, one thing we can rejoice in, that in the life of the Christian man, and the life of the Christian woman, God has a plan for your life, even in the midst of the injustices. He has a plan to use those things for your good and for God's glory and God's honor. And you see this throughout the Word of God. I mean, God's Word is full of accounts of men and women of God going through trials and tribulations. And at times when they could just step back and say, it's unfair. You ever been in that place where it's like, it's unfair. Our kids scream that all the time. It's, one of, it's like the fourth word they learn after they're born is unfair. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're in that place. And yet we see it time and time again. I mean, how many times we go back to Joseph and the injustices done to him by his brothers, selling him into slavery, and then him there in the Potiphar's house and the injustice done to him by Potiphar's wife. And yet God used it all for good to put Joseph in this place of high authority eventually and not just about exalting him but more so to save lives to preserve the nation of israel to preserve the promise of the messiah who would eventually come through the lord jesus christ you think about the book of daniel that we went through recently on wednesday nights and we see injustices in that book against shadrach meshach and abednego thrown in that fiery furnace daniel when you know what the law was made that no one could pray to anyone but the king for 30 days and yet those men as they stood for truth injustices were done against them and thrown in that fire and thrown in that lion's den but god did wonderful works in those times as the whole world literally got to see the great might and power of god as they saw god strengthening his people in the midst of trials and tribulations and in the midst of the injustices or trials and tribulations that come our way. Let's remember, people love watching those things. Are they seeing Jesus in us? Are they seeing us behave like the world? And then you can look at the greatest injustice would be Jesus going to the cross, though he willingly went there for us. And yet a man who knew no sin, a man who never violated the law of God, was nailed to a cross, and yet Look at the wonderful work that came out of that this morning. We have a relationship with the living God because Jesus Christ atoned for our sins. He laid down his life and he rose from the grave. And we have the assurance of our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. And as we've touched on in all of this, Paul's use, or God's using this great injustice. You know what? For Paul's sake, to grow him in the Lord, he, talked, he would talk about being shipwrecked and so forth later on. But God's using this as well 
to give opportunities to share the gospel. These times in prison give an opportunity to write epistles that God has preserved for us this day. And as he writes in the church to, to the church in Philippi, how his imprisonment had emboldened the church. It has strengthened for other, others to stand for truth even in the midst of trials and tribulations and persecutions. So let's remember that because maybe you're in a place right now where in your mind or maybe you've actually been verbalizing it, it's unfair. This is unjust. This shouldn't be happening to me. Newsflash, it's a fallen world. It's a fallen world and those things are going to happen Let's not let those things dictate our lives and take away our joy. Instead, let's look to the Lord and remember God will work all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Can we say amen to that this morning? So here's Paul on this ship. And notice, again, he's among other prisoners. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius. And listen, there are so many that would love for all that name the name of Christ to be prisoners. There's so many that even want to outlaw the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's why Paul's in this place for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've touched on this multiple times through the book of Acts, and we don't want to lose sight of it, that there are many in our world today that are being heavily persecuted for being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In some case, being martyred for their faith. In other cases, being imprisoned for long terms, going to reconditioning camps for their faith. Again, we've touched a lot on over this last year various things that have come up in our nation. And then we looked up to the border above us and we see the things going on in Canada. And yet recently another pastor arrested up there for preaching the gospel of Christ. And sadly, there are certain Christians say, well, that's not persecution. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Up there you can go to the liquor store. You can go buy pot at the dispensary. But you can't have church. They can't have church up there right now. They say, what, like 10 people or something? And they're saying that can't, you can't have church till August? And there's so many even Christians going, well, you know, it's a pandemic. It's not. Not saying the COVID-19 is not real. It is. But a 99.9% survival rate is not a pandemic. And yet Christians are even being conditioning, thinking, oh, this is just normal play. It's okay that the church is shut down. You know, we need Walmart and Home Depot open. That's essential, but not church. There's nothing more essential than getting together and praising God as the body of Christ. This morning, what's going on here is the most important thing going on in this community. Churches gathered, opening God's word and praising him. There's nothing more important than that. There's nothing more important than this. And so let's remember these things. Let's pray. Let's preach the gospel. And let's stand firm knowing God's going to go before us. Come what may, no matter what it is. So he's delivered it in the hand of this centurion named Julius. We'll have more on him in a second here. To the Augustine Regiment. This would be a regiment of 600 men. One of five in Caesarea. Now, we also read here that there's a guy named Aristarchus that is there with Paul. He's a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And it's someone who really we should be familiar with. Is that a name you're familiar with in the scriptures? Aristarchus? I don't see a lot of Aristarchus being checked into kids check in there, you know. Maybe a few Arties, but I don't think there's any Aristarchus. This guy's mentioned five times in the New Testament. Do you realize that? Five, that's pretty good. Five times in the New Testament. He's a man who was a traveling companion with Paul. 
absolutely a the assistant minister, you could say, one that had a fervency to spread the gospel. Listen, he dropped whatever was going on in his life to follow the Lord and saying, I'm going to go out to the mission field. We read in Acts chapter 19 when there was that riot in Ephesus. We see the people of Ephesus, they went and they seized Gaius and who? Aristarchus, these men of Macedonia from Thessalonica. We read later on when Paul would go to Troas that these men would go before Paul kind of making the way. And then later on in Colossians 4.10, we read, as Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, our richest, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And that's probably been written in those last few years of Paul being in prison. And then he writes the letter of Philemon, and in verse 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. And so we see with this man, again, he was a companion of Paul, a fellow minister. He was a prisoner for the gospel of Christ. He was a laborer, and he was also a greeter. Because, again, he greets you. Greeters, it's a biblical, you know, an office, you could say. I look at him, and there's, you know, what a lot we could do with this. But to keep it simple and keep things going, he's a man that, walk with other men of God he was a man that again God had a call to walk with Paul and to partner him with ministry and as a result of this we see him recorded in the word of God and no doubt this man when he passed had great eternal reward from God Almighty and I look at this and I want to learn from his example and I want to look at my life and see who do I roll with Yes, I want to be a witness to the world. I want to get the gospel out to people that don't know the Lord. But God's called us to fellowship, not with the world, but with brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. But notice Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed and then I love Psalm 119.63. I am a companion of all who fear you, those who keep your precepts. I can't encourage you enough to make it your aim to surround yourself, not with people that just say I'm a Christian, but people who fear God Almighty and make it the aim of their life to walk in and keep God's word. Wisdom is found in that. And absolutely, Aristarchus is a great example of doing so. Notice verse 3. And the next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to his friends and received to his friends and received care. Now notice here, Julius, this centurion, he treated Paul kindly. And there's a great truth here. Listen, sometimes along the way in life, as followers of Christ with the trials, the tribulations, and the injustices out of nowhere, God will give us favor with a non-believer to help us get to where he's taking us next. And this is a work of the Lord. I can't tell you how many times in the history of this church since I've been here, especially early, early on, where God gave us favor out of nowhere with non-believers. I remember years ago, the building was here, and that was it. This whole campus was pretty much like a blank slate, except it was full of weeds everywhere that you looked. And all the back here 
This was just a hillside here. And one thing people don't know is churches, yes, they're tax exempt. But if they have property that's not being used, they have to pay taxes on that property. And we had about a third of our property, it could be argued, was not in use because, listen, I was a youth pastor back then, and on Sunday morning, there was about 20 people that came here on a Sunday morning. If that, The first week I preached as a pastor, we had 15 people in attendance. So it was kind of like, we're going up from here. But the tax guy came, and he saw back here in this backfield, and we didn't have two nickels to rub together. I mean, when I became the pastor, we were three months in debt, three months behind on the mortgage payment. And yet the tax guy came, and he saw a little ring of rocks that were put down here. Again, this was a field. A lot of turkeys lived in it, deer and so forth. And he went and he asked, he says, hey, is, is that ever used, you know, for anything down there? And I think, you know, whoever was talking to him said, well, you know, about a year ago or about six months ago, we had a praise night out there. He said, that's all I need to know. This is all tax exempt. And that's got to give him favor in those types of things. And then soon after that, there was... We were at Calvary Chapel back then. There was another Calvary Chapel. They wanted us to merge as we met with them. Listen, the, the, that pastor, they actually ended up leaving Calvary Chapel because the doctrine was so not Calvary Chapel doctrine. But afterwards, when we didn't merge, uh, that, that, that group had found out we were three months behind. And at the time, we were buying the church from the Mormons at a 17.5% interest rate. But that group went behind our back to try to steal our property from us. You know, Christians do stuff like that at times. And not only did, again, this is God using non-believers. These are people that need the Lord. Not only did they not do that, it soured them that that group would want to do that to us. And they reset our payments so that we could get back on track and so forth. Again, it was God using a non-believer or non-believers to give us favor. And here we are some, you know, maybe 25 years later. And listen, Every stitch of this property is paid off in full, including the property that we were able to buy later on. All of it is paid in full. The projects are paid in full. The project being done, the money's for there. And listen, along the way, we need a little bit of favor because God knew where he was taking us and so forth. Now listen, it's not that we look to men or we put hope in them, but at times the Lord may work through a non-believer. He worked through a donkey to restrain the madness of Balaam back in the book of Numbers. And when that happens, let's thank the Lord for that. And then let's all the more pray for those folks. Pray for them especially, believing their hearts aren't totally hardened by even the evidence of their kindness. And Julius gave kindness to Paul. And boy, he was going to get quite an experience on this ship as things unfolded. One other note here, listen. He allowed Paul or he was kindly to him and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And here's one thing about this, just a little side note, a lot of little tidbits here. Listen, Paul had friends to go to because <laughs> Paul had been friendly himself. Notice Proverbs 18:24. a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I know that friend is the Lord Jesus Christ, but to have friends, you need to be friendly. And Paul had spent his life from the time he came to Christ ministering to others and sowing into others. Ecclesiastes 11 says, cast your bread upon the waters. You may find it after many days. Give a serving to seven, also to eight, for you don't know what evil will be on the earth. And everywhere Paul went, he was serving the Lord. 
and he was serving others. He was ministering to others. Now he's in a place where he needs to be ministered to. And there's people now ministering to him. As he's cast his bread out, it's come back to him. And this is just the call again to befriend others, to take that step of faith, to reach out to others, but also not to live a stingy life, to cast your bread out. God says it will come back to you. Great lessons for us here. Verse 4 down through 10. It says, when we have put out to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when he, we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty to send us Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lacia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was all o- already over, notice here, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of cargo, and ship, but also our lives. Now the fast that's being referred to is the Day of Atonement. That happens at the end of summer. Or, or at the, excuse me, the end of September. So we know they are, you know what, in the fall now. And in the fall, you know what, summer's past. The sea begins to change. And obviously, the fact they're moving with difficulty is showing that the seas absolutely are even in the fall looking more like they would look in the winter. And so Paul gives them a word here. And let's differentiate here. This is not a prophetic word that he gives. We'll see in a little bit he gives a prophetic word. This is not a prophetic word. Instead, this is a word of advice given by one very familiar with the sea. Now, Paul himself was not considered a fisherman or a seaman, but he was quite often on ships spreading the gospel, mission trips, and so forth. So he was very familiar with the sea. But more than that, in giving this counsel, this is huge here. Paul was giving this counsel out of the concern for these people's lives. He was concerned about their lives. He saw the difficulty they're having on the sea. He can see that, listen, this is going to be a rough fall and winter. And he knows what awaits them out there. And so he says, listen, we, we, I, I want to advise you. You know what? We got I want to advise you in this voyage that that we need to stop here because disaster is going to come if we move forward. And this is a good reminder to us because we're going to see a lot of counsel from here forth. Counsel from the wise is good. It should be sought out. It should be applied, especially and this is huge here, especially when individuals that we're getting counsel from have a track record of loving God, not just because they say they love God, but Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So they're men and women who fear God, who walk with God, but also they biblically love people because you can find anyone to counsel you to tell you what you want to hear. You know what I'm talking about? You even know deep in your gut, you're outside of God's will, but you're like, well, you know what? Let me harden my heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit by getting some people to counsel me 
to give me the bad counsel I'm already giving myself. That's not what we're called to seek out. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there's no counsel, the people fail, fall, but in the multitude of counselors are safety. And this isn't talking about counselors tickling your ears, but biblical counselors. Proverbs 24, 6 says, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And whether you know it or not, this morning, you are in a war, you are in a spiritual battle, and you want to wage that, not by listening to ignoramuses that are not going to give you biblical counsel, but by people that are going to point you to the Word of God. They're going to be straight with you. They're not going to, you know what, just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. There's a big difference between the two of them. And so Paul is telling them what they need to hear right now, giving a practical counsel. But above all this, listen, above all that, as followers of Christ, we have access to the greatest counselor at all. Of all, his name is Jesus Christ. Notice Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen, in the storms of life, and the wars of life, make sure that you're on your knees and you're in the Word, getting counsel from the Wonderful Counselor, Jesus Christ. Verse 11, because now we see some opposite counsel. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. So the owner of the ship and the helmsman are saying, no, we need to go. We, we can't, you know, stay here. We need to get out there and we need to go. Now, Paul's counsel again. All these men are familiar with the seas. Paul's counsel is being driven by love for people. He said it's not worth the risk that people might lose their lives to go out when the seas are like this. The owner of the ship, though, what's his counsel driven by? Can anyone guess this morning? It's driven by money. 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How much more? The non-believer who loves money. It's the root. Money itself isn't the root, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And no doubt this man knew that the seas were going to be dangerous and lives could be, you know, put into jeopardy. But he just wanted that payday when he unloaded those prisoners as well as other goods. He wanted to fatten the linings of his pocket. And that's what was driving him. Hear this this morning. Do not be naive. Be naive, just so you know, it's not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can we say amen to that this morning? God has not called us to be naive. It is okay to consider what might be the motivation of a person who is advising you and using that knowledge in your decision making, especially when you are standing before a salesman of some sort who's motive is probably to make some money and so forth they're going to paint their product in the best light that should factor into decision making life it's not that we're to walk around with evil suspicions and so forth and i got to figure it out you know this seems good too good to be true oftentimes it is but listen there needs to be a balance 
But God has not called us to be naive. God says, be shrewd as serpents and gentle as doves. This goes on all in the world. Sadly and unfortunately, this also goes on in the body of Christ. Do you know this morning there are many salesmen and saleswomen in the body of Christ that want to sell you a bill of goods that's not found in the Word of God? It says in 2 Peter 2, 3. In fact, we'll just read 2, 1 through 3. It says, but there are also false prophets among the people. Notice, even there will be false teachers among you. And this is huge. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So they secretly bring in untruths. They secretly bring in heresies. They don't just say, hey, we're here with a heresy. We want you to buy it hook, line, and sinker. They, they don't work that way. It says that many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And then notice here verse 3. This is huge. By covetousness, they're coveting what you have. They don't care about your soul. They want your loyalty. They want to make disciples after themselves. They want to get into your pocketbook, not to advance the kingdom of God, but to advance their little kingdoms on earth. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceitful words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. And again, God has not called us to be naive in these things. I referred to this a few times this last Wednesday, but Proverbs one twenty two: How long will you simple ones love your simplicity for scorners delight in scorning and fools hate knowledge? They're banking on us loving our simple ways. They're banking on us walking in ignorance and being naive. God has not called us to be a naive people. He's called us to test things. Again, not walking with an evil suspicion, believing the best, but absolutely to test all things. And we need to do that in life. We need to do that as followers of Christ. We need to do that in all things because Jesus said in the end days, there will be mass deception running amok. Now notice verse 12. And because the harbor was was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest of winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had attained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. So they see the seas are raging. They're, they're, they're you know, what, trying to decide what to do. The majority now, they're all voting against Paul saying, well, we need to move out from here. And then there's kind of a break in the storm, and the winds settle down, and they're now blowing softly. But I think we can all attest to this. Soft winds can get strong really, really quick. The forecasters aren't always right, are they? There's a great evidence of this around you practically. Look up at these tents right here. These aren't the tents we started with back in November. <laughs> They're different tents because we had a storm come through here and the forecast was winds of 20 gust up to 30. We got winds of 50 gust up to 70. And at 2 in the morning, I get a text from Andrew saying, I tried to save them. I tried to save them. They're all gone. They're all dead. They've all disappeared. 
but God made provision, and uh, the wind was going through here pretty strong this week, and these things just stood up like bosses, man. They, they just, like, they hardly even moved. That wind was whipping through. But soft winds can get strong real quick, and the forecasters aren't always right. Listen, note for us pra- or spiritually, spiritual winds and storms can arise real quick as well. You need to know this. Have you figured this out that everything can change in a day in life? Go read the book of Job if you're not familiar with that. Everything can change. This is why we need to take heed to these types of verses, not just when we're in the midst of a spiritual battle and we can see the thick of it around us, but each and every day. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Are you sober and vigilant even when the winds are soft? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then it says in 1 Peter 4, 7, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Let's be a people that are sober-minded, vigilant. We're serious and we're watchful, knowing that the enemy is always plotting and planning and wanting to stir up a storm. Now notice verse 14 down through 20. It says, But not long after, a tempestuous head of wind arose called a Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught, could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clada, we secured the skiff with difficulty. It's like a sailor's dream come true, this chapter here, huh? When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground to uh, Sartus, sands, they struck sail and were so and, and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no, so, no small tempest beat on us. Notice here, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Now, what we see described here was a fierce, you know what, storm, a a, a typhoon-type storm with tremendous winds that got hold of these guys. It says they were exceedingly tempest-tossed. One thing that's interesting here, when they were exceedingly tempest-tossed and they got caught up in this horrific storm, what did they begin to do? They began to lighten the ship. They begin to throw the cargo overboard. They begin to throw out the tackle. That's the owner of the ship's payday right there. Again, it, 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 doesn't, it, it never pays off to go against wise counsel. And there's a great truth here. Most men generally will trade their stuff to have another day of life any day of the week. I mean, what profits you if you have everything and you die? And even more than this, What does it profit you if you gain the whole world? And not only do you die, but you lose your eternal soul to something called the second death to a place that Jesus called hell. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And yet so many people, they're more concerned with their possessions here on earth than their eternal salvation. That's why Satan even tempted Jesus, you know, showing him all the kings of the earth. 
I'll give you these if you bow down and worship me. Because so many people, they take that hook. You know, let me pursue temporary things versus recognizing my time here is very short. As so as they see, they might lose their life. Everything is going over. I don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need the tackle. You know what? Let's lighten the ship. Let's get the load lightened here. And then this is huge. No sun, no stars for many days. Can you imagine being in this? This typhoon beating them out here on the sea. And it says here, again, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Notice here that we would be saved. That we isn't just talking about the non-believers. It's including the Christians. They're part of the we on that ship. This would include Paul, Aristarchus, and Dr. Luke at least. Maybe some others. Hear this this morning. Satan works hard to try to get us to this place. Satan loves hopelessness. He loves it. He flourishes in those conditions. Hear this this morning, though. Get this in your heart. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to never give up hope, no matter what the circumstances are. Hear this today. Christ said it. All things are possible with God. Do you know that today? Romans 15, 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We serve the God of all hope. And when you're hopeless, you don't want to turn to fretting. You don't want to turn to your own counsel. That's when all the more you want to turn to the Word of God and you want to turn to God in prayer. And we're going to see here that's exactly what Paul did. Notice verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Man, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. So Paul drops a, I told you so on him. He just, he, he's a savage here. He drops an, I told you so on him. But hear this, it's not being done out of pride. That's not the reason he's doing this. It's not him stewing the whole time. These idiots, these morons, they didn't listen to me. What's wrong with them? Not that we ever do that, right? Finally, I'm a, I told you so. Look at me. Look how smart I am. No, he's not doing this out of pride. He's doing this in hopes that they would listen to him now. Because what he brings next isn't just a word of counsel and advice from someone who had some wisdom. But what he brings next is a prophetic word. 22 through 26. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you. But only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. That must have been awesome. Saying do not be afraid Paul. You must be brought before Caesar and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, it's the second time he says to him, Take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on certain land. This is a prophetic word. This is more than just wise counsel or wishful thinking. God himself sent an angel to give a word from God, a prophetic word. And we've talked a lot about prophetic words in the book of Acts. 
that we're to pray for the gift of prophecy, knowing that in that, there's edification and exhortation and comfort. Generally, prophecy is proclaiming God's word and power, but there are times when God will give a prophetic word of something that's going to unfold. And generally, it's in cases like this where they've lost all hope. Who knows, without this prophetic word, maybe men would begin to take their lives. This is God intervening here. Not just so I can say, oh, I'm a prophet, but so lives can be saved. So hope can come where there's hopelessness. Again, two times, he says, take heart. He says, then do not be afraid. And he's not saying this out of wishful thinking. He's saying this according to a prophetic word from God. The ship will be lost, but every single life will be spared. And beautifully, out of hopelessness, as Paul has saw God, a greater hope has now been birthed. Notice Romans 5.3. This is a word for the believer. When they're in those times where it seems like things are hopeless. Let's remember this. It says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing tribulations produce perseverance and perseverance character. And character, what's it produce? Hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given us. And this morning... As followers of the Lord, we need to take heart and not fear according to his prophetic word written for us. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, you talk about a great prophetic truth to combat hopelessness. I have eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. How about Hebrews 13, 5? Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he goes on to say, I don't need to fear. What can man do to me? That's hope in the midst of hopelessness. Or I referred to it earlier, Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Stand in the prophetic word of God. It will bring hope that will crush and conquer hopelessness in the life of the believer now 27 to 29 it says now when the 14th night 14th night had come <laughs> you have 14 nights of this as we were driven up and down in the adriatic sea about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land and they took soundings and found it to be 20 phantoms and when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 phantoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern. And then notice here, notice, this is huge, and prayed for day to come. They dropped, and then they dropped to their knees, and they prayed. This is clear evidence Converts are being made on this stormy trip here. It's amazing how trials, especially near-death experiences, can sober people up to calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That thief on the cross got saved when he recognized, I'm about to die. I deserve to be here. If, if this is my judgment for men, what's going to happen when I stand before God? And he cried out, 
I just, you know what? He said another thing. We deserve to be here, but he's done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Dude got sobered up being crucified. And Jesus said, assuredly, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Notice here, they prayed, they cried out to God. God was using Paul to make an impact as he looked to the Lord in the midst of trials versus just having a meltdown. Instead, he got down on his knees and God gave him a prophetic word and is impacting the people on the ship. We're in a global trial right now. Are you impacting people for the Lord Jesus Christ or having a meltdown like non-believers? That should not be us. We have the hope of our Lord. We have the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. We have all things pertaining to life and godliness. You're kings and priests in the Lord Jesus Christ. They prayed for day to come. And one thing that's beautiful about following the Lord, listen, there's always a new day coming. <laughs> Proverbs 35, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I love Proverbs, or Psalm 46.5. God shall help her just at the, I love this, break of dawn. How often times is that God's pattern? The break of dawn, I'm going to be there. And then 2 Peter 1.19, speaking about our Lord. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now notice 30 through 31 here. Try to finish this up here. Next few minutes. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the pro, Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes off the skiff and let it fall. This is more wise counsel from Paul. What's going on? The sailors are looking to jump ship and leave everyone else to die. The skiff, they're the little boats you would get in. They know we're near a shore. We're going to get on them and we're going to row the shore. There's a difference between sailors and soldiers. Sailors know how to navigate a ship in the sea in a storm. Soldiers don't. They don't. And Paul says, if those guys go, you all die. So they went over and they cut off the skiffs to fall and to go off into the sea. I think God was establishing Paul as the new captain of the ship. <laughs> they're listening to him. And again, they're not listening to Paul because he's coming off arrogant or as a know-it-all. They're listening to Paul because no doubt they're recognizing this man, this man is concerned about lives and also they knew this man doesn't speak as others there's an authority and a love in him that came from the holy spirit of god one other note in this listen oftentimes in the storms of life there's temptation to jump ship temptations to abandon the post god has called you to in the service of him and others hear this today don't take the bait Souls hang in the balance. So do eternal rewards. Hear this today. Hear this this morning. Persevere in difficult times as a greater inheritance is found in those times of difficulty. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, 
even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. 33 down through 37. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eating nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from, your, from the head of any of you. What an awesome word. And when he had said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. Church is going on on the ship right now. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. And all there were 267 persons on the ship. Now they're all really listening to Paul. Know this, listen, hear this this morning. As followers of Christ, we should be more wise in the world. In spiritual things. And in many practical things in life as well, God's word is very practical. Sometimes there's Christians wanting to counsel others, wanting to minister to others. We all should be doing that. But when people don't listen to them, they get their ball, they get their feelings hurt, they get their ball and they go home. Don't do that. Sometimes trust has to be earned. Sometimes you have to be vetted even by the world. I mean, even in the church, it says in 1 Timothy 3.10, speaking of deacons, let these first be tested and then let them serve as deacons. It's okay. It's okay to have your counsel rejected. Don't run away. Let people test you. Give time for people to, you know what? Learn to trust you, to vet you, and so forth. Paul's been vetted at this point, and we're like, this guy knows what he's talking about. Pass the bread. <laughs> and yeah, let's give thanks to God as well. He says, take some nourishment. Well, we need it for our flesh, and how much more do we need it for our soul? Man, don't go 14 days without spiritual nourishment ever. <laughs> and then Paul thanked God for the food. This is real practical, real simple, but it's real true. Thank God for your food. Thank God for meals, every one of them, before you eat. And don't let it fall into a place where it's just like, this is the routine we go through. The third horse of the apocalypse brings in a worldwide famine. I guarantee you, there's going to be a different view of food during that time. There's places around the world, there's a far different view of food than there is here. We need to take to heart the Lord telling us to pray, give us today our daily bread. And even take counsel from this. And even Jesus, listen, when he fed the multitudes, he took bread and he broke it and he thanked the Father for it. And notice how we close here, 38 through 44. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. The owner of the ship, he, he's getting no pay to hear. <laughs> Should have listened to Paul. He told you so, you know. <clears throat> and when it was day, they did not recognize the land, 
but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And when they let go the anchors and let them in the sea, meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for the shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and pro and pro struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And then notice 40, 42, it says, then the soldiers plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion wanting to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that those should swim should jump overboard first and get to the land and the rest on some boards and some parts of the ship. So it was they all escaped safely to the land. Earlier, the sailors were ready to let the soldiers die. Now the soldiers are ready to let the prisoners die. Boy, self-preservation oftentimes triumphs over any concern for others. Aren't you glad that's not Jesus? Lord, let it not be us either. And then once again, we see God giving Paul favor with this centurion, with Julius. And I like to hope and believe at this point that Julius has been part of that prayer meeting and thanking God. And he's not just returning the favor of Paul really saving his life through the counsel concerning the sailors wanting to jump ship. But you hope he's returning the favor in part because his eternal soul's been saved. We'll find out one day, won't we? And then again, 44, the rest on some boards and some parts of the ship. You know, not all these guys knew how to swim, but it was like, grab whatever you can. You know, dog pile to the shore. Incredible things would happen next on this island where they landed. But just as was prophesied earlier by Paul, every single one of them made it to the shore. Every single one of them's life was spared. And not one head, hair on their head was damaged. That's true prophetic utterance. What a glorious chapter. I love, I love studying this chapter and going through it. Get to go through it again in a little bit here. Make sure you guys check out that map when you get opportunity. I mean, it's quite fascinating to go over and so forth. And uh, why don't we stand up right now and let's pray and then, then finish in worshiping our God. He's so good to us. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and once again give you glory this morning, God. I just rejoice, God, and thank you that you are with your people in the storms of life. And boy, storms are going to come. There's many storms brewing on this world this morning. But God, we thank you that you are the God of all hope. I just pray, God, if any came in here just feeling hopeless God, I hope and pray, God, that that's been replaced by the hope of our Lord and the truth of your scriptures. Just strengthen us, if you tarry, for days that lie ahead. We know there'll be difficulties. We know there'll be times of trials and tribulations. There'll be times of injustices, but Lord, we God, we know you'll be with us every step along the way, and there's nothing greater than that. So shine your face on your people today, God. Let us take heed to the word of truth here. And you're here today and you haven't called upon Christ. Today's the day of salvation.
Listen, our sin separates us from God who is holy, but Jesus, Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. Where there's sin, there's a cost that has to be paid. We couldn't pay it. And yet the Lord paid that price. He laid down his life for us. He conquered the grave when he rose from the dead. And the scriptures make it clear. It's reiterated in many a place that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. I hope and pray that's all of us this morning. I hope and pray we've all called in sincerity and truth upon the Lord that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. If you haven't, you need to call on Him today. Listen, we, we don't know what storms will brew ahead. We don't know what the rest of this day will hold or even tomorrow. But I know right now, the Lord is giving opportunity to call upon Him. Invite Him into your life. Repent of sin. Turn to Him. And let Him meet you where you're at. Lord, we want to finish well here. We want to lift our voices to you and give you praise. Help us to do that right now. Let's worship the Lord.
Sounds like you believe that. That's a good thing. Well, I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord. We have uh, over half an hour before the next service. Encourage you to encourage others and, and uh, you know what, minister to others. And again, pray that you just have a wonderful day and week in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.